welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. We have weekly discussions with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Stephanie Schoberg. Stephanie is a third-year doctoral candidate, jointly advised by Drs. Aaron Carter and Camille Stieber. She is studying pre-harvest sprouting and falling numbers in wheat. She is born and raised in Washington and came back to the state to pursue her PhD in crop science after working at a vegetable seed company in California for several years. Hello, Stephanie. Hi, Drew. So, Stephanie, uh, falling numbers, would you remind our listeners uh, about what causes low falling numbers in wheat? Sure. So, uh, for those who may not know, falling numbers is a test of starch degradation in wheat flour. Um, It is used in order to determine if the flour is... Um, low quality. So if it's so, if we have low starch, then we also see a loss of structural integrity in the cakes. Um, this can be caused by two separate factors. We kind of um, consider them genetically apples to oranges, and they're both triggered by environmental conditions. So one is pre-harvest sprouting. Pre-harvest sprouting is just in general the germination of the mo- of the seed on the mother plant. Um, That occurs during harvest when there's rain. Um, That's visibly, um, you're able to see that on the plant. Um, But then our second factor is late maturity alpha amylase. And that is something that occurs during grain development. Um, And if we see a spike in temperature, either high or low during that period of time, we see degradation in the seed. And that can only be detected by falling number test. Okay, so two causes of it. Both could be there. Only one could be there. But if you have one or both, you have problems or could have problems. Right. Okay. Right. So your work in the Steber lab um, is with some of the, I guess, explain what you're doing in the Steber lab. I know we've had... 2016, I think, was a really bad falling numbers year. We had a lot of problems in the, in the state. There's a fair bit of data out there on how different varieties behave in these situations, but a lot of variability in that data as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So we have been running falling numbers um, on all of the cereal variety trials um, since 2011, and that was after about a 13-year hiatus when um, from 1998 to 2011, there wasn't a pressure for breeding for pre-harvest sprouting tolerance and an LMA. So in 2011, we saw the environmental conditions that allowed for um, low falling numbers, and that was when the Grain Commission decided to fund the Steber Lab to run falling numbers on all of the WCU um, cereal variety trials, so for spring wheat and winter wheat. Um, in particular, 2013, 14, and as you mentioned, 2016 were quite bad years for falling number. And so what we've done is we've compiled all of the data and we can look at it as a whole. Um, the, when farmers look at it, um, it's, it's, it's publicly available. When they look at it, 
it doesn't look like there's a trend in certain genotypes or varieties that are performing well in all locations. It's it's hard to say from year to year. Um, and not only that, but you can have locations that one year, um, for instance, Pullman can have um, low falling numbers in 2014, and then it had fine falling numbers in 2016. So it's hard. There was some criticism of the data. So that would be um, why I decided to take on an analysis. And so I looked at Every single location, we have um, we have 53 locations in three years, and we took weather data for each of those locations, and we were able to determine, based on the weather data, whether it could have been triggered by um, LMA, which would be a heat or cold shock during that green maturation time, mm-hmm. or pre-harvest sprouting, which was rain um, during or near harvest, near harvest. Okay. So we were able to determine whether it was triggered by LMA or PHS. And then, of course, we have quite a few that weren't affected at all. So that would be no event. Um, so we're able to factor that into our analysis. And then um, using that, we were able to determine that the heritability is lower than um, maybe some other traits, but it's around 0.25, which is pretty good. Um, And it does give the breeders some inclination of how they're supposed to breed for that. Um, It also, um, we're hoping it will allow us to develop models and look at the performance of varieties across years and locations and see which varieties are stable. So which varieties are are um, stable in LMA environments and pre-harvest sprouting environments. And those are the ones that we can recommend to farmers at this time. Um, so that would be, um, for instance, like Crescent, Puma, Auto. Those are all good varieties that we feel comfortable um, telling farmers, recommending them to plant. Um, obviously, we would like to have additional varieties that are completely resistant to both. And so the goal um, of my PhD is to identify pre-harvest sprouting tolerance um, in many varieties. We have a large panel of Pacific Northwest varieties that we're um, using different experiments to identify the genes that are responsible for that. And then we can use that to improve our breeding lines. Okay. Can we, can we go back to something you said earlier? You talked about heritability. So for those of my listeners who aren't plant breeders, could you tell us a little bit about what heritability is, what it means, and what a 0.25 might mean compared to some other 0.5 and some other trait? Right. So uh, heritability is on a scale of zero to one. Um, and heritability is made up of the genetics and also, um, well, so it's the, the phenotype that we see in the field is made up of genetics and environment um, factors. Okay. So environmental factors, meaning, um, you know, f- for instance, the falling number situation, if we have low falling numbers, then it's due to an environmental trigger. Um, so that environmentally impacts the genetics, and that is actually an interaction. Um, but when we're talking about heritability, we're talking about the genetics that are the part of the phenotype, the proportion of the phenotype that is due directly to the genetics okay. and not the environment. And so um, in yield, we see a slightly, you know, anywhere between, 
not high. I don't okay. think it would be above 0.5. Um, but that th those are still selectable traits. Um, it means that it will require additional trialing and um, additional locations. Um, but something like Mendel's peas, the the color or the wrinkled um, versus smooth, that is a Mendelian trait. So that's a heritability of one. Okay. Right. So. All right. So a point two five means there is potential to use genetics and breeding to improve it, but it's not going to be. One really generation easy, and right? done, yeah. yeah. You're going to do a lot of testing and field testing to, to mm -hmm. really zero in on that. Okay, yeah. Yeah. good. Thank you. So um, tell us a little bit about how you go about improving or how you think you go about improving tolerance to pre-harvest sprouting in the breeding program. Right. So we have a couple different strategies. And um, so I mentioned that we're doing some studies. So we're doing a genome-wide association study um, looking at different traits related to pre-harvest sprouting. Um, so we use an experiment in the greenhouse to test for, for sprouting, um, and we're able to phenotype uh, hundreds of lines in the greenhouse. Um, we also run falling numbers, which um, makes sense. That's what the farmers use. And we also run alpha amylase assays, um, so enzyme assays on our seeds. Okay. Um, and, and so what, I, what I'm doing is using that phenotype information in um, combination with genome-wide markers, which I've heard several people talk about on the podcast. And so it's we generally have, and have markers that span across the entire genome and give us kind of a map of what different allele variation that we see across a large panel of genotypes. So um, I'm using a panel of 480 um, in addition to another panel of 320 lines. So we have quite a few. And we're also um, looking at traits related to emergence because pre-ever sprouting is 60 to 80% correlated with seed dormancy. And so we do not want to decrease the emergence, especially in the low rainfall zones, um, by improving pre-harvest sprouting. So that's a really big concern. Um, so that's why we're also using something called genomic selection, which I believe Jeff talked about on the podcast. Right. And he talked about um, using it for different traits, um, but it also can be applied to other traits. Um, and we're hoping that we can use that technique to improve pre-harvest sprouting and emergence. Um, or improve pre-harvest sprouting without affecting, uh, affecting emergence. emergence. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, one way you could solve it is just breed dormancy into the seed. <laughs> right, it wouldn't happen. But then you might have to wait three years before you could plant the seed. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't think that would we be an effective uh, no. <laughs> breeding tool. It'd be a very slow release time for new <laughs> right. varieties. Right. So you mentioned this data on pre-harvest sprouting or low falling numbers is all available. Can you tell our listeners where they would go to find that information? Yeah, so the Steber Lab website, um, I believe there's a link to it on the WSU Cereal Grains or Small Grains website. And it, it has everything. Um, you can look at data by variety across all years, or you can look at it by location or by year. It's it's kind of up to you, like pick your own adventure sort of thing. Okay. Well, we'll make sure we get that into our show notes so readers who are interested can go and uh, find that information and play around with it. It's a very important issue here in Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, I know the, the Washington Grain Commission successfully got some money from the ARS to help us 
do this research. It's, hopefully it's something we'll get figured out soon, but it sounds to me like it's, it's not going to be really fast or really easy. It's going to require a lot of work from people like yourself. So keep at it, and hopefully we'll, we'll have some new information for our growers not too far down the road. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review while you're there. If you have questions for us that you'd like to hear addressed on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu. You can also reach out on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next week.